Um, okay, well, welcome to this Choir Nerd, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I am Mark David Obenza, and I am your host. And I've got my cousin Kelly Schwartz on the on the horn today, uh, going to share us some tricks of the trade. And uh, I thought maybe, Kelly, why don't you just say a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into filmmaking? Wow. I mean, you know, it's been a, a long time. I've been doing this for about 22 years. And today feels like it's just been uh, a roller coaster ride and um but I, I still feel like i i just got into the business you know even though i've been in it for this long i still feel the like like a baby in this whole thing um but yeah i'm a filmmaker i've been in las vegas now most of my life and uh, i produce feature films but i also have a production studio and we we do services for all types of different products and clients and things and we shoot tv shows occasionally when there's not a pandemic raging Nice. Good. And so where are you based? Uh, we're based out of Las Vegas. And you're, um, what's the name of your company? Uh, we're Indie Film Factory. Uh, I'm actually sit sitting in the studio building today because uh, it's quiet here today. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this is a pretty famous studio here in Las Vegas. We've been around for 10 years at this location and um, everything from uh, major television shows, uh, documentaries and films have been shot right behind me in this room. Nice. Well, I have to say, uh, if anyone hasn't seen your latest film, Abigail, and if they're into that kind of horror suspense stuff, I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon, and it is your latest movie that released just this year? Yeah, we released it in March. Um, you know, it was a little ahead of schedule. We, we hadn't planned to release it until uh, April, late April. Uh, but obviously, the, the pandemic kind of made sense for us just to kind of get it out. Um, so we, we put it out this year and it's been, it's done very well. I mean, it's, it's, it, it really has been stunning how well received the movie has and, and how many people it's reached to all over the world. So it's, it's quite humbling. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think like many have found their way down a rabbit hole of Netflix and what's available, uh, on, on, on demand. And I definitely went through a horror movie. I actually am sort of still on a kick. So and I know that there are people out there that love their, that need a good horror fix. So I highly recommend Abigail. Uh, I appreciate it. And it's close to Halloween. So, you know, it is a season, right? Tis a season, that's right. Tis a season. Well, um, so Kelly, I think a lot of people listening will be musicians and, or performers. Um, and as you know, COVID has kept us off the stage, especially singing as it is a, is akin to a bio terrorist attack, a super spreader event. Um, and so we are being forced to figure out how to deliver our, our goods on this digital medium. And um, if there's anything, it's really shown how important the live performance experience is. And um, it's something to cherish. And uh, we look forward to being able to deliver that again. But so, so now we're all we've all become very amateur filmmakers and audio engineers in the process. And, um, you know, when we think we normally have seasons, concert seasons, uh, about average, like four or more concerts that we'll produce. And um, we're going to try to make, I think many of us are going to try to kind of deliver sort of um, videos instead, instead of live concerts. Right. And so the, the, the 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 challenge ahead of us is how do we make that interesting um 
you know, there there is the sort of straight ahead concerts that um, you know you can see at least in the olden days on Channel Nine. Uh, you know, just straight through just a video recording of a concert front, uh, you know, beginning to end without anything um, um, sort of interspersed. Um, but I think, and, you know, uh, tell me if you think I'm, I'm, I'm wrong or right in this, but it seems like maybe it would be more advantageous for us to, to try to create something a little more interesting than that, because um, it's, it's uh, maybe too boring. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I worry that it's yeah. too boring just to do that, but yeah. Yeah, well, ultimately, you know, this whole thing is, is really showing all of us how much we took live performance for granted. You know, we, we took it for granted. And, you know, I think, I think once things are kind of turning a page and it's safe to kind of get back together collectively, I think you're going to see a better understanding and appreciation for performance art. And um, it is something that we're, we're seeing here in Las Vegas, obviously, with all of our shows closed down and all that stuff. Um, and, and everybody's grappling with how to take what used to be a person-to-person -person, uh, commitment and, and, and bring it to a virtual medium, um, which wasn't really designed that way. I mean, so visual content is, is great for a lot of things, but it is not, in a lot of ways, good necessarily for the concert experience. I mean, it's a, it's a means to the end. But it, 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 but there's there's a lot of things that that are beneficial to this. Number one, you're able to reach a, a wider audience, as we all know, um, through this because now people don't physically have to be in this place uh, or in, in a particular place. So I think ultimately, what it means for musicians and performers and and acrobats and circus performers is that they've got to figure out ways to create new storylines. So it's not just about the performance that they're doing, but it's about implementing in storylines and backstories that'll help communicate um, the, the experience in, in a more um, visual way, a, a flat visual way. You know, when you're in a room with, with actors or, or performers or musicians, you can feel the energy from that room. You can feel the energy from people singing or playing instruments or doing a, a, a stage performance, whereas you can't feel that from the screen in a lot of ways. Yeah. So you've got to supplement that emotional context into another storyline and, and I think it's it's a dual thing and I think we've talked about the idea of doing somewhat hybrid of a documentary so you're seeing a live performance but you're also seeing some context or backstory about who these performers are or is it just a person standing behind the keyboard or the person is standing at mic number two from the left what is that person's backstory and is there a way to bring those those elements out through storytelling to help make a, a more well-rounded experience. So somebody's not just watching people perform on screen. Yeah, that's a really great point. And having a, you know, the, the one one sort of problem that, that I, I face when talking about music particularly is that it can often get too um, jargon heavy. I, I suppose this could be a problem with many, many disciplines or just when you start talking about nitty gritty of stuff, just, just being too boring, you know, it, it becomes, there's something about talking about your own work and music that can, that can quickly get too sort of self-indulgent. And so how do you, when you create a storyline, um, uh, how do you kind of organize or decide what would be interesting to mass public? Well, you know, people, the making of the sausage is never pretty, right? Like the making of the sausage is almost in some cases a little bit boring, but I think it's a reason why people go into this career path that is even more important. 
you know, it's not just, oh, I went to this school and this is where I learned and this is what I, you know, who my inspirations were. But it's like, you know, to really get to understand what is the context of being a musician, and especially now. I mean, how important is it for somebody to keep doing their art? You know, um, I think in a civilized society, we need art. Uh, in a modern society, we need culture. We need art. And these are the people that are often taken for granted. And if they go away, it's going to be, it, it could look like the barbarian era. So I, to me, I, to me I, I think that there's backstories about the individuals and why they do it. Nobody cares about what you're doing. They only care about why you're doing it. You know, and, and filmmaking is a context. You know, nobody cares about what kind of lens I'm using to shoot the scene or how we did the special effect. I mean, some people do. But, but ultimately, when people are watching any kind of featurettes or behind the scenes, it's, it's, it's about the story and about why, what drove us, what inspired us to create this. Where does that piece of music you just opened were? Where does that come from? Was it written? Is it a historical piece? What, you know, what is the context of that, that, that material? And why did you choose it? You know, those are all interesting things that are, are I think, um, universal. And I think it's something that breaks you from the, 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 the insider, you know, inside baseball talk that, uh, that, that happens a lot of times with artistry and technology. God, that's such a great point. I mean, no, it's not what you're doing that's, that's interesting, but why you're doing it. Uh, I think that's just that simple idea could, could guide um, um, some, good, some good narration, some good storytelling um, as we kind of show our art in this medium. Right, right. How do we organize um, in our video, say we're going to make an hour video, how do we organize what we want to say and when to say it and how long we should dwell on, on how long to say something? Well, you know, the thing about timing, it, it's about writing things down and actually looking at the clock. If something feels too long, you, you ultimately know that you need to get out of something. Um, it's always about shifting gears. And in filmmaking, if you linger in a scene too long, the audience gets bored. So it's always important to try to try to move the story along. And we use what we call beat sheets in, in filmmaking uh, and a script before we sit down and write a screenplay. The screenplay is actually written out in terms of beats. And we look at each little chunk of information is like this appears on screen for this amount of time. We're in and out of this scene. So I think the same thing could, could apply to doing a live performance. So if you're thinking about it from a perspective of like, OK, we're going to go live, even though it's live um, or it's even pre-recorded, the idea is to think about how long you want to open your intro. Is your intro too long? Is your, is your soundbite, is it lingering too long? You want to be snappy and you want to sit down and write that out on paper first before you actually do the, do the performance or do the live stream. The other thing too is rehearse. If you can rehearse, and I know it's tricky with COVID and stuff, but if you can try to at least walk out the dynamics of it, mm -hmm. it makes it a lot easier for you to control in the event things like technical, you know, technical glitches happen or things like that will happen. Um, it just makes it a little bit more controllable and gives people a perspective of how to manage um, their time, you know. But, yeah, definitely look at it. And, and, and you also take, it, take a, a moment to understand your own uh, perspective on things. So if you're watching something and it feels like it's, it's getting, it's too long, uh, you know, you'll start noticing the timing aspect of it. And, and it, it's, it's something that you, you start paying attention to and say, you know what, I need to shift gears. I need to get out of this talking point or I need to move on to another display. Uh huh. Okay. And so do you, um, it sounds like you make a kind of an outline or something and I do, and you probably 
want to grab more material than than you want to err on the side of getting more more stuff than less stuff is that right absolutely yeah i mean you, you know, well you know there's a there's an economy of scale that goes with any kind of production you know in a lot of ways when you're when you're shooting stuff that's not live the idea is always to give the editor more than they can use and you can never have enough stuff uh, but ultimately when you're when you're working on live performances the more baggage that you have to maintain the more options that you have, unless you've got, you know, a big production broadcast truck, you know, and, and a huge infrastructure to, to do live stuff, you know, you, you trip over your own feet sometimes with more things. So some stuff, maybe not all of it needs to be live. Yeah. You know, so for example, you could have pre-recorded interviews from your talent or from your, your cast uh, that you could be serving, just like how you serve that opening video for the stream that you could insert so you see a performance, then you cut away to Joe, and Joe's going to talk about, you know, growing up in the mean streets of Seattle and how they came up from the, you know what I mean? So yeah. those are things that are, are, could be premeditated that you could design that don't have to necessarily be live. Yeah. Uh, but overshooting stuff, you can never overshoot enough, but it may be a good idea to start thinking about what stuff you can film before you get to the live broadcast. Gotcha. So how do you, how do you figure out... Um... So when you have, when you, when, so the, these sort of videos that I'm imagining, we're going to have performances of pieces, just like you heard, and then maybe we'd throw in interviews and um, some other sort of B-roll footage, as they say. Um, mm -hmm. How do you go around, go about like getting that sort of, that sort of um, B-roll footage type stuff as you're sort of conceptualizing the thing? Because I, I find that to be a little bit tricky like the B-roll stuff obviously isn't important, but it, it adds like some dimension or some space to to the video. Um, how do you go about kind of figuring out how to how to deal with that? Well, you know, uh, again, I think a lot of it's going to be pre-planning. You know, oh. if you can look at your if you can look at your script. I mean, even though you're doing a performance, a musical performance, you know, the idea is to sit down on paper and then figure. Okay, I mean, you obviously know timing, so you understand how long a particular song is going to take to to render. To an audience, you can build that into a schedule, and then you can look at that and say, you know what, um, we're going to use a segue, and we need to get some shots. These are the five shots that we need to get. We need to get an exterior shot of the church. We yeah. need to get an exterior shot of, you know, welcome to the fabulous Las Vegas sign outside. Whatever it is, those are things that you just kind of put on your shot list of, of stuff that you can have ready to go and built into the into the the, the program, ready to get able to be sent live at the right time. What kind of equipment should we buy? What do you um, think? How should, we, how should we approach um, uh, acquiring uh, the, the correct cameras and microphones for what we want to do? Well, you know, there's a lot of great options in technology now. Um, and you can spend a, a great deal of money running around and buying stuff um, that, that, you know, you, you may use only 30% of the time. You know, if you've got the capital, then there's great camera equipments uh, like DSLR style cameras from Sony or Panasonic or Canon, you know, and you can spend two or three thousand dollars a pop on each of these pieces of equipment, you know, and those are those are, you know, really great uh, uh, things to have in your tool belt. If this is going to be something you're going to do long term, if it's a long term investment, mm -hmm. the other thought would be you could use the resources that you have, including your mobile phone or your iPad person or or what have you to get some of this content. And a lot of the Android phones and, and, and iPhones now are, are so great at capturing video and, and great low light situations that you may only need yourself a little gimbal, you know, a little camera gimbal to stabilize your shots 
so you can get some pretty cool dynamic shots. You know, I seen that you had a drone. I mean, that's that's way over the top for most people. You know, so to have have any kind of tools like that are going to be are going to be important in terms of a particular camera system. I I don't know, but it just would depend on your on your price point. My suggestion would be to you know go to places like B and C camera uh, or B and H camera. Um, and look at that, look on Amazon, look at um, a couple of different camera websites and just kind of cross-reference, read the reviews and ultimately see um, if, it's, if it's a price point that makes sense for your, for your investment. Have you used cell phones in your movies? We have. I mean, well, not, not as like the actual film content, but I know there's, there's filmmakers that have and they are. You know, there's a lot of people using cell phones to shoot, you know, news stuff, you know, and, and B-roll, you know, for, for major broadcasters. So, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a video weapon in your pocket, you know, and, and the quality is only getting better and better and better. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, some stuff may look too overly produced, you know. Um, so, so sometimes it works in your advantage to have kind of that run and gun kind of uh, stringer feel to, to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What kind of, what about software? I mean, I, uh, I've been, my friend... Uh, for my big foro coming up in November, uh, built me a uh, a beast of a machine. Um, Oren Doyle, I'm sure you probably met him. Uh, maybe you have. He he was anyway. He was my best man. Um, I so I've been trying to make this painful switch to PC, and I am having the worst time trying to find a video editor. Are there are there software uh, are there um, applications you recommend for PC and Mac that uh, that that I think do the job well? Well, you know, I would look, if you're a PC user, there's no reason why you shouldn't look into like uh, Premiere, Adobe Premiere. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a pretty robust program. And I think maybe two or three hours on a tutorial should get you through the basics that you need. You know, it's, it's, fairly, it's a fairly robust uh, operating or program for the operating system of, of PC. Um, it also works on Mac, so if you're a Mac user. Um, we use a lot of Final Cut on our, on our programs because uh, we're, we're a Mac-based company. So we use a lot of uh, Apple products, um, and it's optimized for Apple. So the, the program works a little better, in my opinion, with, with Apple. Um, but uh, if you're a PC user and you got the supercomputer your buddy just built you, you know, definitely check out uh, Adobe Premiere and, and look at it. It's a subscription-based thing, so you don't have to like, spend a lot of upfront money for it. It's a monthly subscription thing, or you can do it for the year. Um, and it, it updates, you know, when it needs to be updated, it updates. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I've been messing around with all sorts of different programs. Uh, Adobe Premiere definitely was, I think the most stable, um, stable one on the PC. Um, some of us, I know, uh, including Steven and I think maybe a few other people listening are doing these virtual choir things. Have you, have you seen those things going around look like Brady Bunch? I have, I have seen some of those. Yes. That's yes. quite demanding on the machine. I mean, I've got, you know, I have like 30, 30 layers of video, um, like on top of each other. And so, you know, getting, getting to getting software to play that back is not, they get kind of cranky. I don't know if you, have you ever had that many layers in a video, like 30? Yes. Well, when you're making a movie, you have, you know, 30, 40 different layers. And, oh, and just wow. to kind of recap my, my actual, the DP, um, who, who worked on our last movie, who is also a musician, and uh, he, he, he chimed in and he said, DaVinci Resolve, he reminded me, DaVinci Resolve is free. So if you're, if you're a PC user, try DaVinci Resolve. Um, you know, it's for the Black Magic camera family, but it's a, it's a great robust program. A lot of people are using it for color correction, but it's an editor now. So it, it, definitely check that out. Um, 
But yeah, uh, but yeah, you can stack a lot of video. You know, your processing power is going to be a problem no matter how robust your system is. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why when you're editing, you have to be as organized as possible um, and and be as uh, streamlined as possible with your with your media management. Um, otherwise, it could bog down your system altogether. You know, and sometimes you you have to do some exporting and uh, you know consolidate some of those yeah, layers. Right. Your computer's not Compound able to handle the processing power. I've uh, so for those of you out there doing virtual choirs, I still unfortunately, and I've tried DaVinci Resolve. I've tried the studio version, which is three hundred bucks, um, and I think it uses some of your GPU, uh, more more of your GPU to help render and process. I've used Adobe Premiere Pro. I've used even Filmora Nine. Um, mm. I've used Final Cut Pro, um, and I for the virtual choir stuff. I'm afraid that I had a Final Cut Pro is fast for that stuff. Like for me, I don't know if that's in your, do you, in your experience. I mean, it seems like you have roughly the same amount of tracks going, same amount of um, layers going. Do you find Final Cut to be the fastest in your experience? Yeah, well, for us, anyways, because we're we're Mac based, and we, you know, there was a while that we left Final Cut altogether, and we went into using uh, Adobe Premiere. Um, but for me, I just I like the functionality of it. It's taken a while to get used to it, um, and there's a lot of things now that I go back and I try to use Premiere for little things, and I'm like, you know, yeah. I'm just not not used to it. So to me, it's fast, and we do a lot of, um, or, or we I should say we we did in the past a lot of uh, uh, on-site editing for clients. And that was one of the programs that would help us move fast uh, to have that, that, you know, the ability to output content and not have to worry about some of the more uh, manual things that uh, Adobe Premiere has. So how do you, how do you capture your audio? Um, how do you have a, yeah, like I, I actually am curious, how do you, how do you capture like interviews or, you know, if people are kind of moving around and, and they're speaking? Well, it kind of goes back to your point of equipment. I mean, I think to have a very basic audio, like a wireless microphone or something that can be plugged right directly into the camera. Mm -hmm. um, Sennheiser makes a good, you know, easy brand to, uh, a product to use um, that can be basically put into most cameras. Um, so, so I would say to have to have your yourself the ability to have some mobility is is going to be huge. Um, you know, and I think that on a very basic level would be the first starting point. And then you can, of course, invest in booms and, and things like that uh, to help kind of amplify and, and, and add some dynamics to the sound that you're capturing. Mm -hmm. And what about lighting? Do you, do you, do you focus on um, getting, you know, getting a light, lighting set up or at this sort of amateur level or uh, do you, how important do you think that is um, getting lighting equipment? Well, I mean, you know, now lights are pretty inexpensive. I mean, you can you can pick up lights in a kit now for like two, three hundred bucks on Amazon. So, I mean, there's there's so many different options. I think to have some some actual video lights are, are important if you're going to do this on a regular basis because you don't want it to be a shadowy environment. You don't want it to look um, flat, you know. And and ultimately, you're when you're doing things like what we're doing here, when you're talking through a, a computer screen or a cell phone or something like that, you're already going to have optical challenges. So to have you know some backup um, stuff with lighting is going to be huge. And again, uh, three-point lighting, depending on your subject matter, is is usually adequate if you're doing like interviews and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, Dieter, that's a good point. Uh, my buddy and phenomenal guitarist Dieter here said that if you're associated with the university, there are usually some great discounts you can take advantage of, both in um, buying equipment, actually, in my experience, and 
getting your hands on some good software. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, definitely take advantage of the student discounts without yeah, a doubt. A or if you know of a student, um, yeah, make friends with that person. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> So what else, what else, Kelly? What are, do you have any other tips for us? You know, as we as we kind of like put our put our documentary producer hats on. You know, um, I think ultimately it's about being organized and and pre planning your, um, your 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 performance. You know, uh, don't don't take it as one of those things like I'm just going to show up and do this thing. You know, I think I think the second that you take planning seriously and you make it part of the apparatus and what you're doing. Um, the better your performances, the better everything's going to uh, come out on the video side, um, even with the most basic stuff, even with the most basic equipment. If you think about things and you plan things out, it's going to it's going to make it for a better viewing experience for the people on the other end, you know, because that's at the end of the day. That's the goal. That's the priority is to give the folks out there um, you know, a, a really good optimal uh, experience. And you can only do that, in my opinion, if you sit down beforehand and actually figure out the mechanics. How long should these things be, you think? How long should our end video be? Well, I got attention deficit disorder. So like me, I'm like five minutes tops, I'm out. <laughs> I'm like, you know, uh, uh, you know my, my brain is like moving so fast half the time. So I can't, I can't. But no, but honestly, I think, you know, a show should be as long as it needs to be, right? Like it should only be as long as it needs to be. Um, if you if you feel that you know you can stack uh, some really great performances together and tie them together with some good back in back behind the scenes content, you know by all means make your show an hour or something like that. But you know don't try to fluff it out. You know don't try to fluff it out for the sake of like oh I just want to create it. You know because on TV they do an hour. Like it doesn't have to be that way. Uh -huh. You know I think of the internet now and and how we're experiencing media. It should be very fast. It should be in and out. Quick, quick, quick. If something needs to be longer, then it should be longer, but it should only be that way if it needs to be. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, no, no, that, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Um, I just feel like boredom is the ultimate enemy in, in everything about life. Uh, so we're, yeah. yeah, as we get to the end of this, if people are still listening, feel free to throw in your questions um, for, you know, if we have, if, if you have any, and um, we'll try to get to them. I guess this is our unofficial Q&A section. Yeah, I'm kind of reading through this to make sure we didn't miss anything here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, somebody here, uh, Charisma, actually chimed in. She said, uh, but in the end, there's nothing like live performances. So, you know, obviously, you know, you could use this as a promotional tool um, for your audiences to get you to get to know you. Great point. I mean, all of this stuff is about... Um, you know, creating content, right? So, so now, you know, as we all move into this digital world of having to express ourselves, you know, I think it's about figuring out ways to maximize, maximize the, the, the tools that you have to reach new audiences, build new relationships, constantly grow the conversation. And that's what any of this stuff is good for. You know, um, I use Facebook and social media for one thing, and it's pretty much just to share information. Um, and I'm not talking about news. I'm talking about stuff about the industry and it's stuff about that stuff that other people would be interested in on a professional level or on a creative level. And I think that's what these tools are designed for, in my opinion. Um, and then the, the rest of the time, we should be hoping that we get back together soon and, and, and start, you know, hugging and kissing and shaking hands. Yeah, totally. I mean, that I think this is a good opportunity to for musicians and artists alike to to really think about ways 
to um, package or express their art in the most accessible way. Right. Um, you know, that I think that's for the sake of the survival of the art or the craft. Um, you know, I think that that is, it's a, it's a good time now to think about that um, as we, as we find, as we are in COVID land. Um, yeah. Well, anything else you want to add, Kelly? I feel like I'm reaching the end of my big questions here. I mean, we'll throw in some links in the description uh, where people can get maybe, maybe buy, buy some of this stuff or, or some, a few uh, equipment recommendations um, to get for people to get started. But yeah, well, you know, I just like to say this. I mean, I, I applaud all the performer, all the performing artists out there that are struggling. I mean, you know, in our in our industry, there's there's, you know, in addition to the people who have lost their lives during COVID, I mean, on an industry level, you know, restaurant workers, but you know, the performing arts, it's gonna it's it's gonna be a long time before we get folks back into the same capacity that we were, and it was already tough beforehand. Artist who is now in a position where they are struggling. Wow, why did it, I just got like a countdown. Did you see that? I did. It's telling me to wrap up my, my speech. I don't, know, I don't know what that was. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, a great, that's a great point. Dieter touches on a really interest, I mean, it just touches on some philosophy or like, would you rather view a video of a live performance or an edited perfect rendition of a piece, even if it has lots of edits? Well, you know, um, you know, I think there's there's benefits to both. You know, there there is definitely something to see in a very streamlined edit, uh, a very tidy and robust kind of thing, and that that thing could be used more for marketing, maybe. Um, but I do find there's some value in seeing people, um, you know, succeeding or tripping or struggling. There's something about the live aspect of it that kind of makes people feel like they're a part of that moment. You know, and, and, I, and I think that sometimes it plays into, you know, when you're when you're watching like a live sporting event. Right. Like if you if, if you were to already know the score, the game wouldn't be that exciting if you were watching the recorded session of it. So there's something about the spontaneity of, of live performances that that are, are exciting. And I think um, at the end of the day, um, you know, you, we 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 can make things look as much as like a broadcast company would make. Uh, but. I think we should all try to to make things simple for ourselves. And if it, if live is better for you and you feel better with limiting the amount of times you got to edit something, then just just do live. Yeah, I mean, there's the key difference here between live and a recorded one is that live you can only experience once in um, unless it's recorded and then you can like go. But 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 I think it's the experience itself that makes it so valuable and 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 um kind of a treasure really so you know when we see for me personally i mean th this is sort of a personal thing on some level but when i go to a live performance and see something you know executed um, just on an inhuman level like you know where i go to circus soleil uh, just the stuff they do there is incredible or, or when you see a live <clears throat> live music concert to see people execute at such a high level is um is a kind of like watching a miracle and so Whereas when you record something and you're, uh, it's all just be, by the nature of the medium, um, not that way, because you can see it again. So there's a tendency for musicians to want um, recorded stuff to be perfect, because it's like, you know, I don't want to 
watch that again and watch me screw up. Uh, but so Dieter, I mean, I guess to your question, it's, uh, I mean, that that's just kind of one of those questions there. Uh, uh, everyone just has their own kind of opinion about. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, it's, it, it boils down to the individual. Uh, but I think, you know, for me as a, as a video editor, there's a lot of magic you can create behind the scenes with visual editing. Uh -huh. um, but again, it, it may take away from some of the, the more dramatic elements, the emotional aspects of the performance if you're, if you're having to, to do a lot of edits. But I would suggest this, you know, I would suggest folks, to, this, this isn't something that we have to reinvent. I mean, there are people that are doing this in spades right now. So it's, it's just a matter of doing some research and, and getting and taking some notes on how other people are doing things and how to use the simple tools that you have around you to just kind of add value to what you're already doing or what you already were doing. You know, because at the end of this, this tunnel, you want to be able to come out with two things. You want to be able to come out with more knowledge uh, and, and more options for when to reach people when things like this happen. Because if it's not a pandemic, it could be a storm or it could be some kind of a, a, another thing that you, you want to reach a, a population of, of people that you can normally get to. So I think it's a matter of this is a added tool to what you are already doing. And think of it like that. Yeah. That's great. So Kelly, what else? Anything else you want to tell us before we uh, have at this ourselves? <laughs> Just keep singing. Just keep singing and doing what you're doing. You know, people need hope. And, uh, you know, uh, any kind of hope and, and positive messages that people can spread, that's what's, that's what's up. All right. Well, Kelly, it's been great having you on here. I've, I've been wanting actually to pick your brain about some of this stuff for a while. And I, I appreciate you being so generous with your time. and. Um, I look forward to the next uh, the next movie. Can I? Do we get a whiff of it, or uh, do I get? No, to know? It's still what? early stages, man. It's the pregnancy stages of movie making right now for us. <laughs> we don't even know when we can make a movie yet. I mean, we're still you know, there's colleagues of mine who shoot movies. Like I'm not I'm not risking anything for a while. So we're gonna oh, we're gonna yeah. be uh, kind of designing things for a while, if you would. Nice. Well, um, well, best of luck to you, and and uh, good to see you, Chat, on the uh, on the on the airwaves um, and uh, love to your love to the little one and the family. So um, thanks. Thank again. you. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Well, I'll see you at a wedding or a ceremony or some kind of family event in the future. I'm sure. So hopefully before I'll see you before then. Excellent. All right, Kelly. Thanks so much.